chapter 5 as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at this uh, last week, and there's one phrase that I thought we should revisit uh, and to try to get uh, more clarity on it. Matthew 5, 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, that is to disconnect them. Some people, you know, write off the Old Testament. Jesus said, don't think that that's what I came to do. But rather I have come to fulfill them. Fulfill the law and the prophets. Last week we saw in verse 17 that they are, Jesus viewed the law and the prophets as permanent. He didn't come to abolish them. And he saw them as accurate, verse 18, not one jot or tittle, that is the smallest letter or the slightest mark is going to pass away till they're fulfilled. In verse 19, he, he said they're relevant you, to teach them is to be greatest in the kingdom. But we didn't look at that one phrase, fulfill. He, I didn't come to abolish, but to fill to the fullest. What does that mean? Well, uh, he could have said, I've come to promote the law and the prophets. I've come to defend them. Actually, I think he did both of those. I think he promoted them. I think he defended them. But that wasn't his primary purpose. Not even I've come to teach them, but to fulfill has a nuance about it that I thought we should revisit this morning. And it's something that only... Jesus can do. Remember that what he says here is, I haven't come to abolish or destroy the law of prophets. But then you have to understand he's also saying, but I have come, I have come to fulfill. Jesus completes the Old Testament. The Old Testament is incomplete until the New Testament arrives, Jesus arrives and fills it to the full. The last statement in the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi and, he, and God threatens that unless they uh, start keeping the law of Moses, he will smite them with a curse. And that's the last thing it's said in the Old Testament. In other words, he leaves Israel with a promise and a threat. It's contingent upon them is the final thought of the Old Testament. Now it's in your hands. But in the New Testament, instead of a curse, he opens with, in his first statement in Matthew 5, his verse, Matthew 5, verse 3 and 4, is blessed are you. He brings a blessing. It becomes contingent upon Jesus Christ. And he's come to fulfill. Now, um, what this means is, 
that the Old Testament is primarily about him. I have come to fulfill them. Uh, he repeated this in John five forty six, when he told the unbelieving Pharisees, he said, if you would have believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me, or he wrote about me. The, the, the word of is actually the little Greek prefix, peri, like a perimeter. It means around me. Set up a perimeter. Moses wrote about me, around me. That is, I was the center of all that Moses wrote. I was the topic, the subject, the focus of everything Moses wrote. Jesus did not come to preach Moses. Moses came to preach Jesus. <laughs> Deuteronomy 18, in verse 17, Moses said, The Lord said to me, One day I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers. Moses said, God told me he was going to one day raise up a prophet that would be similar to me, a deliverer, an intercessor. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. He's speaking directly about Jesus Christ. Now some have said, well, that was Joshua. Joshua is never called a prophet. No, the one who Moses is speaking is the Lord Jesus Christ. God put in his mouth all the words that he wanted him to speak. You see, Jesus as the center and the topic in the sacrificial system set up in Exodus, Leviticus. In Leviticus 1, verse 3 and 4, the offerer, the, the one who comes to worship, he must offer a male without blemish. A male, Jesus was a man. Without blemish, Jesus had no sin. And he says, you must come and offer to God. If you come to me, he says, you shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Meeting means meeting with God. I've come to meet with God. And that he, the offerer, may be accepted before the Lord. See, what's that saying? Bring the sheep, bring the offering, and it's got to be a male without blemish. And, and uh, as the picture shows here, he says, Leviticus 1.4, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. So based on the spotless, Lamb or sheep, he puts his hands, or um, some versions have, he leans on him with his hands. He's leaning on the lamb. And this identifies, he's identifying with the sheep. 
And then the sheep is then taken by the priest and slain as the substitute for the sinful man who's come to worship. Now, if that's not the cross, I don't know what is. That he's accepted because of the sacrifice. And you get that all the way through Leviticus. He has atonement. The sheep is identified with the sinner. And the offerer, the worshiper, is accepted. So Jesus, in Luke 24, verse 44, says this. These are some men who are after the cross and resurrection. They're walking out of town because they're disappointed. They thought the Messiah would come and set up an earthly kingdom. So they're they're very distraught because they're walking away on the Emmaus Road. And Jesus comes alongside them. And he said to them, Luke 24, 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, has to be fulfilled. See, he's come to fulfill them. What's the Old Testament about? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about Israel. It's about Jesus. In Genesis, he's the seed of the, of the woman that crushes the serpent's head. In Exodus, he's the lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the door so the destroyer would pass over and not harm the people under the blood. In Leviticus, he's the sacrifices that were brought so the atonement and the offerer could be forgiven. In Numbers, he's the serpent that's placed on the pole that when people viewed him and gazed upon the presence of that serpent, they were healed because Jesus took our place. Therefore, God viewed him, treated him, judged him as a serpent like the devil. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet that would come and God would fill his mouth with his words, with the words of God. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, it's about Jesus. And he came to fulfill it to the brim. He not only fulfills it by fulfilling the prophecies and the pictures, but he also fulfilled it by bearing the penalties paying the penalties of the law, of the broken law. Because we've all sinned. And that cannot be ignored. The judge of all the earth must do right. How could a judge, having a guilty criminal before him, let's say he stole your car, or worse... Kidnap the loved one. And they arrest him, bring him before the judge, and the, the judge basically gives him community service 
for a day. Not even a slap on the wrist. You would be outraged. Why? Because where's the justice? This is an unjust judge. I read some time ago about a judge in Ohio who a young man assaulted a girl and they, they found him, brought him before the judge and the judge practically let him off with no penalty. And the community was so outraged that they uh, led a movement to oust the judge. Get rid of this guy. I don't remember what become of it, but I remember the story. So Jesus, the, the, the law of God, it's out there. We act like that, well, God can just forgive us even though we have broken the law, rebelled against it, ignored it, and he disobeyed it blatantly. He can't just ignore it and stay and be righteous and be just. So Jesus takes each of the curses of the Old Covenant, the, the penalties of that law, all of it in its entirety and in its particulars, and he goes to the cross. And thus he defends the righteousness of God and the justice of the law. That's why Romans 3.31, let me, let, let's, let's do uh, Romans um, 3.25. Give me Romans 3.25. <clears throat> God put forward, talking about Christ, put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine patience, he had passed over sins. He passed over former sins. He let Abraham get away with polygamy. He let David get away with murder. Even Moses committed murder, killed a man. Well, God, why didn't you bring them to justice? Why, where's the punishment? So God passed over some of these former sins. And it says, uh, Romans 3 and 26. And so it was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness at this present time that he can be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Here's a sinner, and God can declare him not guilty and still be a righteous judge because Christ came and suffered in his place. That's why Paul goes on in Romans 3, verse 31, and says, we don't overthrow the law by faith. No, on the contrary, we uphold the law. We validate it. We declare it unbreakable. The penalty had to be paid. And Jesus said to validate the law and defend the mercies of God, I will pay and bear the full penalty of the law's curse, which he did on our behalf. He kept the law and paid our price, though he himself had bore no penalty for his own sin. John 15, 10, Jesus said, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He always did what God told him to do. 
But the reason he was treated like a sinner is because he became us and took our place. So Jesus fulfills the law by fulfilling its prophecies and its pictures, its predictions. He also fulfills the law by bearing its penalties, thus defending the righteousness of God. And he fulfills the law by giving us his Holy Spirit. By putting his spirit in his resurrection, he's now permeated the earth by his spirit. And so he enters into our hearts and writes his law, his will, his nature into our hearts and our nature, right down to the DNA. We are miraculously changed when Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, comes into our hearts. Romans 8, 3. Listen at this. God has done what the law, weak because of the flesh, could not do. God has done what the law could not do. Not because the law is weak. We are weak. Our flesh is weak. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now notice the next verse. Romans 8 verse 4. In order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, inside of us, who walk after the Spirit, who put a priority on the Holy Spirit, His law ends up being fulfilled inside of us because it's, it's, it's the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah said, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. Not like the covenant I made with the fathers when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt, which they broke. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will do it. Christianity is not me saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. You can sing that. And you can say that, but the only reason you would decide to follow Jesus is that God put his law, wrote it by the Holy Spirit in your heart and a miracle took place and a new birth and a new life came and your nature changed. God said, I will write it in your heart. This is a different covenant. Not like the old covenant when I brought them out of Egypt and in the Exodus and at Mount Sinai and I gave it to them on stone tablets and they broke it. But in the new covenant, which is the same law, by the way, he said, I will write my law. He's not changing the law. He's changing the method. The 
And it's not in our will. It's in his will. I will write it on their hearts. So this which is written in our DNA is the essence of Christianity. You will love God. Why? Because it's your nature to love God. You will value things because that's your nature. You know, my cat, it values certain things like solitude. It highly values that. It values food. And it values me leaving it alone. That's its nature. My grandchildren have scars to prove that that's its nature. Everything has a certain nature. When you become a Christian, your nature changes. Now you still have the flesh and you still are capable of failure as we all know who are Christians. But now let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 because I want to show you this. Because here's, here's our next few weeks series. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So they were very external, very legalistic. And then he goes on, and here's the rest of the chapter. From verse 21 down to verse 48, the entire rest of the chapter, Jesus deals with the nature of, of the individual and the core sins. And, and I've got them listed for you here because this is what we're going to do. Give me, the, give me those, uh, just put them all up there. Verse 21 to 26, anger. He's going to talk about anger and how it produces violence. Now Jesus says, I'm going to write in your heart something different than anger. That way you won't have to worry about violence coming out of your hands. Then lust, verse 27 to 30. I'm going to put something in your heart. It won't be pornography. <laughs> now, do, do, can Christians view pornography? Yes, they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not looking forward to that sermon, I'm telling you right now, when I get to lust. Divorce, verse 31 and 32. Oh, that should be fun. We'll all enjoy that one. If you could talk to Jesus. Remember, this is what, he, this is what he's doing. He's sitting down and telling you, now when you have the, new, when you have the Spirit of God right on your heart, the new covenant law and it and changes your nature. Here's what you'll look like. Wow. Jesus, 
later on were in private for a moment and I asked him, Jesus, what do you think of divorce? Can a Christian get a divorce? That's, that's what we have in verse 31 and 32. And, and we have the privilege of hearing Jesus give his views on some of the most practical things of the day. Swearing, verse 33 to 37. Taking oaths, swearing. Credibility, it's about credibility. Revenge, verse 38 to 42. And of course, hate. Hating enemies. Verse 43 to 48. Six things. These are tests as to whether or not the miracle of the new birth has taken place and your nature has been changed to be like His and the Holy Spirit has written His Word in your heart. He's written His law in your heart. Six tests. We'll look at them. I think it's going to take us a few weeks, but uh, we want to probe. We want to be humble coming before you. Because, listen, when I look at this list, I'm guilty of many times of just about all of them. (laughs) Thank you for that word of affirmation, brother. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Um, And God will help us. This is important for our own examination in our spiritual life. Do you want to be a Christian? A true Christian? Well, Jesus tells us what is involved. And I'm thankful that God gave him these words and filled him with these words that we may know. Ushers, if you'll come and uh, let's worship with our tithes and with our offerings this morning. Heavenly Father, bless our time of worship in giving. And as we conclude our time around your word, amen. Amen.